Section 8 of Our Mutual Friend by Charles Dickens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Section 8 of Our Mutual Friend by Charles Dickens. Book the First. Chapter 8. Mr. Boffin in Consultation Whosoever had gone out of Fleet Street into the temple at the date of this history, and had wandered disconsolate about the temple until he stumbled on a dismal churchyard, and had looked up at the dismal windows commanding that churchyard until at the most dismal window of them all he saw a dismal boy, would in him have beheld at one grand comprehensive swoop of the eye the managing clerk, junior clerk, common law clerk, conveyancing clerk, chancery clerk, every refinement and department of clerk of Mr. Mortimer Lightwood, erewhile called in the newspapers eminent solicitor. Mr. Boffin, having been several times in communication with this clerkly essence, both on its own ground and at the bower, had no difficulty in identifying it when he saw it up in its dusty airy. To the second floor on which the window was situated he ascended, much preoccupied in mind by the uncertainties besetting the Roman Empire, and much regretting the death of the amiable Pertinax, who only last night had left the imperial affairs in a state of great confusion by falling a victim to the fury of the Praetorian guards. "'Morning, morning, morning,' said Mr. Boffin, with a wave of his hand, as the office door was opened by the dismal boy, whose appropriate name was Blight. "'Governor in?' "'Mr. Lightwood gave you an appointment, sir, I think?' "'I don't want him to give it, you know,' returned Boffin. "'I'll pay my way, boy.' "'No doubt, sir. Would you walk in?' "'Mr. Lightwood ain't in at the present moment, but I expect him back very shortly.' "'Would you take a seat in Mr. Lightwood's room, sir, while I look over our appointment book?' Young Blight made a great show of fetching from his desk a long, thin manuscript volume with a brown paper cover, and running his finger down the day's appointments, murmuring, "'Mr. Rags, Mr. Bags, Mr. Cags, Mr. Dags, Mr. Fags, Mr. Gags, Mr. Boffin. Yes, sir.' "'Quite right. You are a little before your time, sir. Mr. Lightwood will be in directly.' "'I'm not in a hurry,' said Mr. Boffin. "'Thank you, sir. I'll take the opportunity, if you please, of entering your name in our caller's book for the day.' Young Blight made another great show of changing the volume, taking up a pen, sucking it, dipping it, and running over previous entries before he wrote as— Mr. Alley, Mr. Bolly, Mr. Collie, Mr. Dolly, Mr. Folly, Mr. Golly, Mr. Holly, Mr. Lolly, Mr. Molly, and Mr. Boffin. Strict system here, eh, my lad? said Mr. Boffin, as he was booked. Yes, sir, returned the boy. I couldn't get on without it. By which he probably meant that his mind would have been shattered to pieces without this fiction of an occupation wearing in his solitary confinement no fetters that he could polish, and being provided with no drinking-cup that he could carve, he had fallen on the device of ringing alphabetical changes into the two volumes in question, 
or of entering vast numbers of persons out of the directory as transacting business with mr lightwood it was the more necessary for his spirits because being of a sensitive temperament he was apt to consider it personally disgraceful to himself that his master had no clients how long have you been in the law now asked mr boffin with a pounce in his usual inquisitive way i've been in the law now sir about three years must have been as good as born in it said mr boffin with admiration do you like it i don't mind it much returned young blight heaving a sigh as if its bitterness were past what wages do you get half what i could wish replied young blight what's the whole that you could wish fifteen shillings a week said the boy and about how long might it take you now at a average rate of going to be a judge asked mr boffin after surveying his small stature in silence the boy answered that he had not yet quite worked out that little calculation i suppose there's nothing to prevent your going in for it said mr boffin the boy virtually replied that as he had the honour to be a briton who never 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 there was nothing to prevent his going in for it yet he seemed inclined to suspect that there might be something to prevent his coming out with it would a couple of pound help you up at all asked mr boffin on his head young blight had no doubt whatever so mr boffin made him a present of that sum of money and thanked him for his attention to his mr boffin's affairs which he added were now he believed as good as settled then mr boffin with his stick at his ear like a familiar spirit explaining the office to him sat staring at a little bookcase of law practice and law reports and at a window and at an empty blue bag and at a stick of sealing wax and a pan and a box of wafers and an apple and a writing pad all very dusty and at a number of inky smears and blots and at an imperfectly disguised gun case pretending to be something legal and at an iron box labelled Harmon Estate, until Mr. Lightwood appeared. Mr. Lightwood explained that he came from the proctors, with whom he had been engaged in transacting Mr. Boffin's affairs. "'And they seem to have taken a deal out of you,' said Mr. Boffin, with commiseration. Mr. Lightwood, without explaining that his weariness was chronic, proceeded with his exposition, that all forms of law, having been at length complied with, will of harmon deceased having been proved death of harmon next inheriting having been proved etc and so forth court of chancery having been moved etc and so forth he mr lightwood had now the gratification honour and happiness again etc and so forth of congratulating mr boffin on coming into possession as residuary legatee of upwards of one hundred thousand pounds standing in the books of the governor and company of the bank of england again etc and so forth and what is particularly eligible in the property mr boffin is that it involves no trouble there are no estates to manage no rents to return so much per cent upon in bad times which is an extremely dear way of getting your name into the newspapers no voters to become parboiled in hot water with no agents to take the cream off the milk before it comes to table you could put the whole in a cash-box to-morrow morning and take it with you to say the rocky mountains inasmuch as every man concluded mr lightwood with an indolent smile 
appears to be under a fatal spell which obliges him sooner or later to mention the rocky mountains in a tone of extreme familiarity to some other man i hope he'll excuse my pressing you into the service of that gigantic range of geographical bores without following this last remark very closely mr boffin cast his perplexed gaze first at the ceiling and then at the carpet well he remarked i don't know what to say about it i am sure i was almost as well as i was it's a great lot to take care of my dear mr boffin then don't take care of it eh said that gentleman speaking now returned mortimer with the irresponsible imbecility of a private individual and not with the profundity of a professional adviser i should say that if the circumstance of its being too much weighs upon your mind you have the haven of consolation open to you that you can easily make it less and if you should be apprehensive of the trouble of doing so there is the further haven of consolation that any number of people will take the trouble off your hands well i don't quite see it retorted mr boffin still perplexed that's not satisfactory you know what you're a-saying is anything satisfactory mr boffin asked mortimer raising his eyebrows i used to find it so answered boffin with a wistful look while i was foreman at the bower afore it was the bower i considered the business very satisfactory the old man was a awful tartar saying it i'm sure without disrespect to his memory but the business was a pleasant one to look after from before daylight to past dark it's a most a pity said mr boffin rubbing his ear that he ever went and made so much money it would have been better for him if he hadn't so given himself up to it you may depend on it making the discovery all of a sudden that he found it a great lot to take care of mr lightwood coughed not convinced and speaking of satisfactory pursued mr boffin why lord save us when we came to take it to pieces bit by bit where's the satisfactoriness of the money as yet when the old man does write the poor boy after all the poor boy gets no good of it he gets made away with at the moment when he's lifting as one might say the cup and sarser to his lips mr lightwood i will now name to you that on behalf of the poor dear boy me and mrs boffin have stood out against the old man times out of number till he has called us every name he could lay his tongue to i have seen him after mrs boffin has given him her mind respecting the claims of the natural affections catch off mrs boffin's bonnet she wore in general a black straw perched as a matter of convenience on the top of her head and send it spinning across the yard i have indeed and once when he did this in a manner that amounted to personal i should have given him a rattler for himself if mrs boffin hadn't thrown herself betwixt us and received flush on the temple which dropped her mr lightwood dropped her mr lightwood murmured equal honour mrs boffin's head and heart you understand i name this pursued mr boffin to show you now the affairs are wound up that me and mrs boffin have ever stood as we were in christian honour bound the children's friend me and mrs boffin stood the poor girl's friend me and mrs boffin stood the poor boy's friend me and mrs boffin up and faced the old man when we momently expected to be turned out for our pains as to mrs boffin said mr boffin lowering his voice she mightn't wish it mentioned now she's fashionable but she went so far as to tell him in my presence he was a flinty-hearted rascal 
Mr. Lightwood murmured, Vigorous Saxon spirit, Mrs. Boffin's ancestors, Bowman, Agincourt and Cressy. The last time me and Mrs. Boffin saw the poor boy, said Mr. Boffin, warming as fat usually does with a tendency to melt, he was a child of seven year old, for when he came back, to make intercession for his sister, me and Mrs. Boffin were away overlooking a country contract which was to be sifted before carted, and he was come and gone in a single hour. I say he was a child of seven year old. He was going away, all alone and forlorn, to that foreign school, and he come into our place, situated up the yard of the present bower, to have a warm at our fire. There was his scanty little travelling clothes upon him. There was his little scanty box outside in the shivering wind, which I was going to carry for him down to the steamboat, as the old man wouldn't hear of allowing a sixpence coach money. Mrs. Boffin, then quite a young woman, and a picture of a full-blown rose, stands him by her, kneels down at the fire, warms her two open hands, and falls to rubbing his cheeks. But seeing the tears come into the child's eyes, the tears come fast into her own, and she holds him round the neck, like as if she was protecting him, and cries to me, I'd give the whole wide, wide world I would to run away with him. I don't say but what it cut me, and but what it at the same time heightened my feelings of admiration for Mrs. Boffin. The poor child clings to her for a while as she clings to him, and then, when the old man calls, he says, I must go, God bless you, and for a moment rests his heart against her bosom, and looks up at both of us, as if it was in pain, in agony. Such a look! I went aboard with him. I gave him first what little treat I thought he'd like, and I left him when he had fallen asleep in his berth, and I came back to Mrs. Boffin. But tell her what I would of how I had left him. It all went for nothing, for according to her thoughts, he never changed that look that he had looked up at us to but it did one piece of good. Mrs. Boffin and me had no child of our own, and had sometimes wished that how we had one. But not now. We might both of us die, says Mrs. Boffin, and other eyes might see that lonely look in our child. So of a night when it was very cold, or when the wind roared, or the rain dripped heavy, she would wake sobbing and call out in a fluster, Don't you see the poor child's face? Oh, shelter the poor child! till, in course of years, it gently wore out, as many things do. "'My dear Mr. Boffin, everything wears to rags,' said Mortimer, with a light laugh. "'I won't go so far as to say everything,' returned Mr. Boffin, on whom his manner seemed to grate, "'because there's some things that I never found among the dust. "'Well, sir, so Mrs. Boffin and me grow older and older in the old man's service, living and working pretty hard on it, till the old man is discovered dead in his bed. Then Mrs. Boffin and me seal up his box, always standing on the table at the side of his bed, and having frequently heard tell of the temple as a spot where lawyer's dust is contracted for, I come down here in search of a lawyer to advise, and I see your young man up at his present elevation, chopping at the flies on the window-sill with his penknife, and I give him a hoy, not then having the pleasure of your acquaintance, and by that means come to gain the honour. Then you and the gentleman in the uncomfortable neckcloth under the little archway in St. Paul's churchyard. Doctor's Commons, observed Lightwood. I understand it was another name, said Mr. Boffin, pausing, but you know best. 
then you and dr scommons you go to work and you do the thing that's proper and you and dr s take steps for finding out the poor boy and at last you do find out the poor boy and me and mrs boffin often exchange the observation we shall see him again under happy circumstances but it was never to be and the want of satisfactoriness is that after all the money never gets to him but it gets remarked lightwood with a languid inclination of the head into excellent hands it gets into the hands of me and mrs boffin only this very day and hour and that's what i am working round to having waited for this day and hour a purpose mr lightwood here has been a wicked cruel murder by that murder me and mrs boffin mysteriously profit for the apprehension and conviction of the murderer we offer a reward of ten thousand pound mr boffin it's too much mr lightwood me and mrs boffin have fixed the sum together and we stand to it but let me represent to you returned lightwood speaking now with professional profundity and not with individual imbecility that the offer of such an immense reward is a temptation to forced suspicion forced construction of circumstances strained accusation a whole toolbox of edged tools well said boffin a little staggered that's the sum we put o one side for the purpose whether it shall be openly declared in the new notices that must now be put about in our names in your name mr boffin in your name very well in my name which is the same as mrs boffin's and means both of us is to be considered in drawing em up but this is the first instruction that i as the owner of the property give to my lawyer on coming into it your lawyer mr boffin returned lightwood making a very short note of it with a very rusty pen has the gratification of taking the instruction there is another there is just one other and no more make me as compact a little will as can be reconciled with tightness leaving the whole of the property to my beloved wife henrietty boffin sole executrix make it as short as you can using those words but make it tight at some loss to fathom mr boffin's notions of a tight will lightwood felt his way i beg your pardon but professional profundity must be exact when you say tight i mean tight mr boffin explained exactly so and nothing can be more laudable but is the tightness to bind mrs boffin to any and what conditions bind mrs boffin interposed her husband no what are you thinking of what i want is to make it all hers so tight as that her hold of it can't be loosed hers freely to do what she likes with hers absolutely absolutely repeated boffin with a short sturdy laugh ha i should think so it would be handsome in me to begin to bind mrs boffin at this time of day so that instruction too was taken by mr lightwood and mr lightwood having taken it was in the act of showing mr boffin out when mr eugene raeburn almost jostled him in the doorway consequently mr lightwood said in his cool manner let me make you two known to one another and further signified that mr raeburn was counsel learned in the law and that partly in the way of business and partly in the way of pleasure he had imparted to mr raeburn some of the interesting facts of mr boffin's biography delighted said eugene though he didn't look so to know mr boffin thank ye sir thank ye returned the gentleman and how do you like the law ah uh, not particularly returned eugene too dry for you eh well i suppose it wants some years of sticking to before you master it but there's nothing like work look at the bees 
i beg your pardon returned eugene with a reluctant smile but will you excuse my mentioning that i always protest against being referred to the bees do you said mr boffin i object on principle said eugene as a biped as a what asked mr boffin as a two-footed creature i object on principle as a two-footed creature to being constantly referred to insects and four-footed creatures i object to being required to model my proceedings according to the proceedings of the bee or the dog or the spider or the camel i fully admit that the camel for instance is an excessively temperate person but he has several stomachs to entertain himself with and i have only one besides i am not fitted up with a convenient cool cellar to keep my drink in but i said you know urged mr boffin rather at a loss for an answer the bee exactly and may i represent to you that it's injudicious to say the bee for the whole case is assumed conceding for a moment that there is any analogy between a bee and a man in a shirt and pantaloons which i deny and that it is settled that the man is to learn from the bee which i also deny the question still remains what is he to learn to imitate or to avoid when your friends the bees worry themselves to that highly fluttered extent about their sovereign and become perfectly distracted touching the slightest monarchical movement are we men to learn the greatness of tuft hunting or the littleness of the court circular i am not clear mr boffin but that the hive may be satirical at all events they work said mr boffin yes returned eugene disparagingly they work but don't you think they overdo it they work so much more than they need they make so much more than they can eat they are so incessantly boring and buzzing at their one idea till death comes upon them that don't you think they overdo it and are the human laborers to have no holidays because of the bees and am i never to have change of air because the bees don't mr boffin i think honey excellent at breakfast but regarded in the light of my conventional schoolmaster and moralist i protest against the tyrannical humbug of your friend the bee with the highest respect for you thank you said mr boffin morning morning but the worthy mr boffin jogged away with a comfortless expression he could have dispensed with and there was a deal of unsatisfactoriness in the world besides what he had recalled as appertaining to the harmon property and he was still jogging along fleet street in this condition of mind when he became aware that he was closely tracked and observed by a man of genteel appearance now then said mr boffin stopping short with his meditations brought to an abrupt check what's the next article i beg your pardon mr boffin my name too eh how did you come by it i don't know you no sir you don't know me mr boffin looked full at the man and the man looked full at him no said mr boffin after a glance at the pavement as if it were made of faces and he were trying to match the man's i don't know you i am nobody said the stranger and not likely to be known but mr boffin's wealth ah oh, that's got about already has it muttered mr boffin and his romantic manner of acquiring it make him conspicuous you were pointed out to me the other day well said mr boffin i should say i was a disappointment to you when i was pointed out if your politeness would allow you to confess it for i am well aware i am not much to look at what might you want with me not in the law are you no sir no information to give for a reward no sir there may have been a momentary mantling in the face of the man as he made the last answer but it passed directly 
if i don't mistake you have followed me from my lawyers and tried to fix my attention say out have you or haven't you demanded mr boffin rather angry yes why have you if you will allow me to walk beside you mr boffin i will tell you would you object to turn aside into this place i think it is called clifford's inn where we can hear one another better than in the roaring street now thought mr boffin if he proposes a game at skittles or meets a country gentleman just come into property or produces any article of jewellery he has found i'll knock him down with this discreet reflection and carrying his stick in his arms much as punch carries his mr boffin turned into clifford's inn aforesaid mr boffin i happened to be in chancery lane this morning when i saw you going along before me i took the liberty of following you trying to make up my mind to speak to you till you went into your lawyers then i waited outside till you came out don't quite sound like skittles nor yet country gentlemen nor yet jewellery thought mr boffin but there's no knowing i am afraid my object is a bold one i am afraid it has little of the usual practical world about it but i venture it if you ask me or if you ask yourself which is more likely what emboldens me i answer i have been strongly assured that you are a man of rectitude and plain dealing with the soundest of sound hearts and that you are blessed in a wife distinguished by the same qualities your information is true of mrs boffin anyhow was mr boffin's answer as he surveyed his new friend again there was something repressed in the strange man's manner and he walked with his eyes on the ground though conscious for all that of mr boffin's observation and he spoke in a subdued voice but his words came easily and his voice was agreeable in tone albeit constrained when i add i can discern for myself what the general tongue says of you that you are quite unspoiled by fortune and not uplifted i trust you will not as a man of an open nature suspect that i mean to flatter you but will believe that all i mean is to excuse myself these being my only excuses for my present intrusion how much thought mr boffin it must be coming to money how much you will probably change your manner of living mr boffin in your changed circumstances you will probably keep a larger house have many matters to arrange and be beset by numbers of correspondents if you would try me as your secretary as what cried mr boffin with his eyes wide open your secretary well said mr boffin under his breath that's a queer thing or pursued the stranger wondering at mr boffin's wonder if you would try me as your man of business under any name i know you would find me faithful and grateful and i hope you would find me useful you may naturally think that my immediate object is money not so for i would willingly serve you a year two years any term you might appoint before that should begin to be a consideration between us where do you come from asked mr boffin i come returned the other meeting his eye from many countries boffin's acquaintances with the names and situations of foreign lands being limited in extent and somewhat confused in quality he shaped his next question on an elastic model from any particular place i have been in many places what have you been asked mr boffin here again he made no great advance for the reply was i have been a student and a traveller but if it ain't a liberty to plump it out said mr boffin what do you do for your living i have mentioned returned the other with another look at him and a smile 
what i aspire to do i have been superseded as to some slight intentions i had and i may say that i have now to begin life not very well knowing how to get rid of his applicant and feeling the more embarrassed because his manner and appearance claimed a delicacy in which the worthy mr boffin feared he himself might be deficient that gentleman glanced into the mouldy little plantation or cat preserve of clifford's inn as it was that day in search of a suggestion sparrows were there cats were there dry rot and wet rot were there but it was not otherwise a suggestive spot all this time said the stranger producing a little pocket-book and taking out a card i have not mentioned my name my name is rokesmith i lodge at one mr wilfer's at holloway mr boffin stared again father of miss bella wilfer said he my landlord has a daughter named bella yes no doubt now this name had been more or less in mr boffin's thoughts all the morning and for days before therefore he said that's singular too unconsciously staring again past all bounds of good manners with the card in his hand though by the by i suppose it was one of that family that pinted me out no i have never been in the streets with one of them heard me talked of among them though no i occupy my own rooms and have held scarcely any communication with them otter and otter said mr boffin well sir to tell you the truth i don't know what to say to you say nothing returned mr rokesmith allow me to call on you in a few days i am not so unconscionable as to think it likely that you would accept me on trust at first sight and to take me out of the very street let me come to you for your further opinion at your leisure that's fair and i don't object said mr boffin but it must be on condition that it's fully understood that i no more know that i shall ever be in want of any gentleman as secretary it was secretary you said wasn't it yes again mr boffin's eyes opened wide and he stared at the applicant from head to foot repeating queer you sure it was secretary are you i'm sure i said so as secretary repeated mr boffin meditating upon the word i no more know that i may ever want a secretary or what not than i do that i should ever be in want of the man in the moon me and mrs boffin have not even settled that we shall make any change in our way of life mrs boffin's inclinations certainly do tend towards fashion but being already set up in a fashionable way at the bower she may not make further alterations however sir as you don't press yourself i wish to meet you so far as saying by all means call at the bower if you like call in the course of a week or two at the same time i consider that i ought to name in addition to what i have already named that i have in my employment a literary man with a wooden leg as i have no thoughts of parting from i regret to hear i am in some sort anticipated mr rokesmith answered evidently having heard it with surprise but perhaps other duties might arise you see returned mr boffin with a confidential sense of dignity as to my literary man's duties they're clear professionally he declines and he falls and as a friend he drops into poetry without observing that these duties seemed by no means clear to mr rokesmith's astonished comprehension mr boffin went on and now sir i'll wish you good day you can call me at the bower any time in a week or two it's not above a mile or so from you and your landlord can direct you to it 
but as he may not know it by its new name of boffin's bower say when you inquire of him it's harmon's will you harmon's repeated mr rokesmith seeming to have caught the sound imperfectly harmon's how do you spell it why as to your spelling it returned mr boffin with great presence of mind that's your lookout harmon's is all that you've got to say to him morning 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 and so departed without looking back end of section eight of our mutual friend by charles dickens read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california shaggybark.blogspot.com